Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You for showing up here today. I thank You for the anointing. I thank You for giving me utterance. Father, thank You that You give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and revealed knowledge of You and Your Word. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding, Father. Get us answers to questions. Help us make course corrections in life so that we can grab a hold of all the riches on our life that belongs to us. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Righteousness, God's Equity, Part 13. Go to the first one for me, Mandy. We saw this that the Greek word for righteousness is the word equity. Equity. So wherever you see righteous or righteousness in your Bible, I want you to think of the word equity because that's really what the word is. When we hear the word righteousness, there's like a religious kind of twist to it. And, uh, you know, all throughout my life, I've been brought up in the church. And I was told, and I'm still, I see this everywhere, that righteousness means right standing with God. You ever heard of that? That's not what it means. It means equity. Equity. It's a completely different thing than right standing. I don't even know where it's not. It's not anywhere in any of the Greek lexicons. It's not in the Greek dictionary. If you look in the original language, it's the word equity, not right standing. And we saw that equity is the amount or the value of an asset that you own. It's the the the, uh, the value of an asset that you own. Go to the next one. In the Bible, there's three kinds of righteousness. Unrighteous, it talks about. Now, unrighteous is not sinning. Haven't we ever we've talked about that too, right? Haven't you been taught that? That unrighteous, you know, your unrighteous ways. It's not sinning. Unrighteous means you just don't have equity. It's you're bankrupt. I mean, you know, if you max out your credit card or your house is upside, that's what's going on with these foreclosures. People are upside down on their houses. They're unrighteous. They have no equity. You know those, uh, you can get 125% home equity loan of the value of your house. People took that and now... We got a position where we're in unrighteousness. Does religion come into this anywhere? No. See, we'll suspend reality when we come into church. This is what people are dealing with in real life, real time. So when you, the Bible talks about an unrighteous person, someone who just doesn't have equity with God. Then there's a self-righteous person, somebody who's trying to build their own equity with God by doing a certain set of behaviors or shunning another set of behaviors. If there's one more thing that you have to do or something that you have to not do in order to build equity with God, what Jesus did wasn't enough. Don't, it's very subtle to fall into that because we all, that's what that, you ever heard this code Judeo-Christian values? That's code for self-righteous, okay? Well, people that say it, they don't even realize that that's self-righteous. But Judeo-Christian means do the Ten Commandments. So God will like you better. If, you don't want to be in the spot where you have to build your own equity with God. And then the last thing the Bible talks about, last group is righteous. Say, that's me. That's me. We just believe that what Jesus did is enough and we get 100% equity with God. He fills our account. Go to the next one. We saw that uh, the, the de- legal definition of covenant is that a covenant is a legally binding contract, but it's uh, automatic in a court of equity. And then I said, well, wait a minute. You know, we're talking if righteousness is equity and a covenant is automatically valid in a court of equity, maybe I should find out what a court of equity is. Because I really, I never really, I mean, I might have heard of it one time or two, but in our land we have courts of law, not courts of equity. And we saw that equity was an entire, go to the next one, system or an entire area of law that was made up by uh, kings so that the king with his royal power could fix right wrongs. Remember that? And we saw that God's judgment, his court system is not based on the rule of law, it's based on the rules of equity. And there's actual rules of equity. If you look it up in it, you could look, uh, Google it, because I know you probably won't go get a law book, right? But you could Google it. If you put in maxims of equity, you'll see what the maxims of equity are, the Gibson's Fifth Law Book. So you understand that God, if you think that he is under that He is coming at you from law, you'll always feel guilty and you'll always be afraid of judgment. Isn't judgment kind of a negative word in, our, in your thinking? It's always been brought up as a negative thing, that the judgment was going to fall like fire from heaven. 
y'all ever, you know, that fire and brimstone kind of stuff? Look, if you approach your relationship with God and you think the judgment is based on the rule of law, you'll always be afraid of it. But under the rules of equity, you will crave judgment. Judgment will not only be a positive thing, man, you can't wait to get one. Because imagine this, like if you were in a, in a lawsuit and the jury was handing down $2 million. And if you were on the winning side, wouldn't you want judgment day to come? I would because that would mean payday. If I was on the losing side, I'd want to put it off as long as possible so I didn't have to pony up the $2 million. But if you're getting the $2 million, wouldn't you want judgment? That's how it is with God. When judgment comes, it, it's payday for the believer. Go to the next one. We saw this. That Here's the rules. I, I broke them down into like one-word deals right? so we didn't have to go through 100,000 slides every week. Right? But here's the maximums of equity. If you, if you follow your conscience, right? if you do what your conscience says, you'll get a winning judgment. So if you come to the court and, and, and you followed your conscience... You, you qualify for a winning judgment. Remember that there's the, the court affords you certain rights. Healing, a restoration, and a better, a better life. And then God says that the court hates it if you forfeit the rights. Those are your rights. Don't walk away from it. it God is very, he gets upset. Sick to his stomach, it says. That's what abomination is. It makes him sick to his stomach when his kids walk away and forfeit their rights. Then we saw the next one, that intentions count with God. In the court, he looks at your intentions. So if you make a mistake, but your intentions were right, that gets credited to your account. Then he saw, we saw this, that, that you should refuse to settle. God would never, ever counsel you in his court to settle because all the promises we saw, all the judgments are already yes and amen. If he already judged in your favor, which he already has, if you walk away from it, then it's not on God. So you have to refuse and to settle and assert your rights. Every day you should assert your right to have a better life. Assert your right to have healing. Assert your right to have restoration if something was taken from you. And we saw this in rule number five is God guarantees it. If it's in his word, if he said it, he said, I guarantee it. Remember from Tommy Boy? Y'all remember that movie, Tommy Boy, where, you know, the guy with the brake pads and he was like, well, the Dan Aykroyd guy, you know, the, the big guy guarantees his stuff on the box. And Tommy Boy said, well, the guarantee is only as good as the person backing it up. See, so and, and when God guarantees it, you could take that to the bank. Then we saw this, that in order to get equity, you have to commit equity. If you want we saw this with uh, Abraham and Isaac. Remember, Abraham, he went and sacrificed or gave Isaac to God, his only son, so that God could give Abraham, Jesus, his only son. There was quid pro quo. If you want 100% equity, you've got to give or commit 100% equity. How many know if Abraham went up there and gave like you know, the family goldfish to get Jesus? Would that have been a fair trade? You see, that's not covenant. He's not all in. You can't be like, well, let's give, let's give Nemo. Because, you know, he's cute, but he's just a clownfish or whatever. Let's give him instead of Isaac. I like Isaac better. Then we can get Jesus. That doesn't fly. And it doesn't fly in our lives with God. If we want to get 100% equity from God, you've got to give 100% equity. That's part of the rules. Then the next one we saw this at the heir. The court recognizes, if you are identified as an heir, it recognizes you as the true or the real owner of whatever you're the heir of. So go to the next one. We saw this in Romans 8 and verse 16, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if we're children, then we're heirs, and heirs of who? God, and we're joint heirs or co-equal heirs with who? Christ. So in this document, the, the you know, last will and testament, right? Here, you are named as an heir. So if you could find anything in here that belongs to God, under the court, it also belongs to you because you're the heir or the real owner of it. If you find anything that belongs to Christ in here, then it also belongs to who? You, you're the real owner. 
you're the real owner. This is a legal document, and it says that you're the owner. It names you the owner, the real owner of anything that is God's, and it names you a co-equal owner with anything that's Jesus's. Go to the next one. We saw here's the legal definition of heir. Anyone who acquires property upon someone's death, and it's based on the rules of descent and distribution, but it can refer to anyone who receives anything from a will, but usually refers to the child, a descendant, or other close relative of the deceased. Go to the next one. Galatians 3 and verse 29, we saw that if we be Christ, then we're Abraham's seed and we're heirs according to the promise. So I know that if I'm the heir of something in God's court, that I am the real owner. This says that I'm heirs according to the promise, so I want to know where's the question, what's the promise, right? What's the promise? What am I the real heir of? Go to the next one. We saw in Romans 4 and verse 13, here's the promise. For the promise that he, Abraham, should be the heir of the what? World. World. And you're Abraham's seed and you're heirs according to the promise. And the promise was that he, Abraham, and now you, because you're Abraham's seed, would be the heir of the what? Who's the real owner of the world? We are. Anybody that's Abraham's seed, the real owner. So, uh, do not feel bad or guilty about taking what's really yours. If you went on vacation... Say you went to the beach, and you, you man, it was a good vacation because you got two weeks out of the deal, right? And you came back, and someone else was living in your house, and they changed the locks, and they just moved in and moved your stuff out on the front lawn. What, what are you going to do about that? Would you just be like, well, you know, I guess I'll rent an apartment, maybe a single wide. Would you? No, what are you going to do? You could, Whatever means necessary, get them out your house. You paid for it, it's your house. You all following this? Well, the world belongs to covenant people, righteous people. People have equity with God. The world belongs to us. Satan got it from Adam. Jesus came and bought it back, so legally it belongs to us again. But how many know that he's squatting? Just like somebody who moved into your house. You Don't just be like, well, that's it, you know, someone else got it. No, well, you're going to go get it back. Go to the next one. Galatians 3 and verse 18 says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The inheritance be of the law. It's not of the law. We saw this. It comes from equity. If you are approaching getting your riches, honor, and life, or getting the world or anything that belongs to you through the law, you ain't going to get it. This is why a lot of Christians don't live in riches, honor, and life, because we're still under the burden of the law. And you I, you know, it's an uphill battle for us because you've been taught from generation to generation for about 1,700 years because the church has figured out that we can manipulate people, the church as in the ministers, figure out we can manipulate people with the guilt and guilt comes from the law. So if I keep you under the law, then all I have to do is tell you what the law is and manipulate your behavior. And it keeps you under. It's an uphill battle. Boy, you'd be like you know, almost stoned or burned at the stake if you said that the Ten Commandments ain't for you and you shouldn't you should dump them. Wouldn't you? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. You must be one of them there libertarian types. Okay? Go to the next one. We saw this the legal definition of inheritance is the money and our property received upon a relative's death due to the laws of descent and distribution, even if a will doesn't exist, but we have a will. Now Religion has tricked you into thinking you get your inheritance when you die, not when somebody else dies. See, we suspend reality when we walk into church. You don't get it when you die. You get inheritance when someone else dies. If great aunt Sissy died and left you in the will, 
How many know if you're in Aunt Sissy's will and she didn't die, are you getting anything? Not until she dies. Which is why you should be nice to her if you're in the will, right? Right? It's not when you die, it's when someone... Now, who was our relative that died that gave us the inheritance? Jesus! Okay, go to the next one. Now, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 10 the last couple of weeks. It's kind of our jumping off uh, spot here for what we're getting into. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be ignorant. It's not saying he's not calling us dumb. He just doesn't want us to not know. Because how many know if you don't know something, that could harm you? Couldn't it? Yeah, you ever get pulled over by the cop for speeding? And then you said, well, I didn't know. Did, did that help any? Not when I was working, it didn't help. <laughs> all right? So look, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Here, I want to tell you what the speed limit is. He said, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and all were baptized or immersed under Moses in the cloud and the sea. Remember when they left Egypt? There was that pillar of cloud, right? And they went to the Red Sea. And they all did eat, ate the same supernatural meat. Remember quail and manna? Now, it says spiritual in the King James, but how many know, do you ever have a spiritual Twinkie? How'd that taste? Now, a natural Twinkie don't have much, you know, nutrition, but a spiritual one definitely doesn't have any nutrition to it. It's supernatural. The fact that manna was there and quail was there, that was supernatural. But it was not spiritual. They could eat it. They had to floss their teeth after eating the quail. And all did drink the same spiritual or supernatural drink. They drank out of that supernatural rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Did he say with all of them? No, many of them. So, look, we've in times past looked at the many of them that he wasn't well pleased with. That's that first generation that didn't go in and get their inheritance. So now we're going to look at the ones that he was well pleased with. Go to the next one. Now, all these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Now, all these things happen unto them for examples and written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the world have come. So we're going to go and look at what the winners did this time. All right, we all know a lot of stuff of what we shouldn't do. What we're going to do is look at what we should do. If we can copy what the winners did, then we should get the same results, shouldn't we? That's why a lot of uh, you know, people who make it, that's why their books go to the top of number one, because I want to know what people who made it did. That's why Trump sells a lot of books, because he has results. So people are going to try and copy what Trump did. Y'all following that? All right, go here to the next one we got here, Joshua 3. Now, we left off these guys last week. Remember, they went to uh, the spies, the two spies, went into Jericho and came back. Remember Rahab? She wasn't an innkeeper. She was a prostitute. Remember her? Okay, from last week. Now, now they're back, and, and they gave Joshua the after-action report. And so here we pick up the story in Joshua 3 and verse 1. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and they came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over the Jordan. So now they've come up to the bank. Y'all following that? The whole camp. 1.5 or 2 million people. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. Now look, it would take three days to move 2 million people. Break camp. And moved two million people up to the Jordan. So that's why it took three days. After three days, they get them all up there. And the officers, this is, this is their military leaders, go through all the camp, all the host. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So here, what's the high sign? The Ark of the Covenant, right? When you see the Ark of the Covenant, follow after that. And 
there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Now, a cubit, it's about 18 inches. This is how they used to measure in the old days, right? From your elbow to the... So a man would come up and go, yeah, that's one cubit. That's two cubits, you know, because they didn't have the Home Depot to go get the tape measure. So they used their arm. Now, so 2,000 cubits is about 18 inches, so that's a, about a half a yard, right? 18 inches, half a yard. So two, let's do the math. So it's about, they got to be behind the Ark of the Covenant 10 football fields, 1,000 yards. Right, right? 2,000 half yards would be 1,000 yards, right? Okay. So, hey, that's a pretty good distance, isn't it? Isn't that, a, I mean, they're not right up on it. They're a half a mile. Let this, okay, now listen. Because what does that have to do with us, Andrew? What are you talking, you know, because we're going to do what they do. I mean, no, uh, it, let's read the end of this verse because it says that they, the reason that they had to do it was because you may not know the way which you should go. Because you haven't passed this way before. He said, this is the why you're going to let the ark and the priest get out in front of us about a half a mile because we ain't been this way before and you don't know which way to go. So why, why does that have to do with us, Andrew? Listen, you don't need to be right up on God's butt when He's leading you somewhere where you ain't been before. I know we want to always be right there, right? Don't tailgate God. He will lead you the way you need to go. Don't worry. Let Him get... Look, if you are right up on Him, you can't see necessarily what's... By, you ever been a tailgate behind a tractor trailer? Have you? Can you see what's on the other side of that? You don't know. What if he slams on his brakes real fast? What happened to you? Y'all following? Why would we would need to let God let, let God lead you? I know we want to we want to be right there, and we're afraid you know he's going to get beyond us and all. No, let him lead you. But see, you know we don't have an ark of the covenant now, do we? Well, Andrew, what do we? You know, you got to make this practical. Okay, well, come over here to Proverbs three. Y'all know this verse because we quoted it since you were Sunday school. If you ever went to Sunday school, you heard this verse. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Isn't that a nice little cute saying? That goes right along with Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves all the little children of the world. But let's like look at this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. This is okay. Remember, what's our decider? Wisdom is our decider. If we don't know what to do, we ask God for what? Wisdom. Remember the four kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom of the word, making your decisions based on the wisdom of the word, the filter of the word. Then there was earthly wisdom, which is we make decisions based on other people's experience. Sensual wisdom, you make decisions based on what you see, what you feel, what your information input is. And then there was devilish wisdom, which was ambition and competition. Any of the other three, other than the wisdom of the word, could be your own understanding. Hey, no, uh, if you're not going to use the wisdom of the word, the best one of those three to use is earthly wisdom. At least go on somebody else's experience. But if you rely on somebody else's experience or your own, it says that you know, you're not, you're not going to avoid all the pitfalls and the minefields that are out there, all the booby traps. You know, God will know where they're at. He's like your mind sweeper. Okay, let God walk point. Let him walk point. I know we want to be right there. 
Get some space between you and where He's leading you. You haven't gone this way before. Relax. Let Him get out in front of you. You don't have to try and force the issue. See where it says, in all thy ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path? You know, I, I'd be like, well, I acknowledge God. Remember, in all your ways, remember that, that, that Hebrew is uh, your entire course of life, your way of life, your entire course of life. Are you just going to acknowledge Him? What is acknowledging? See, that's not the, the Hebrew word means perceive. Perceive Him. Perce- remember from the conscience series? What's the number one way that God talks to His kids is that you would what? Perceive. Do you all remember this? We taught on it for six months. This is how God talks to His kids is that you would just perceive. Listen, if you're not operating in that conscience area, remember your conscience means co-perception or co-perceiver. This not, we're not just going to acknowledge God. Oh yeah, God, I acknowledge that you're there. You know, I acknowledge that I have to pay taxes. I acknowledge that, you know, speed limits are in place. I acknowledge that I've got to pay my mortgage at the end of the month. I've got to be able to perceive Him. I've got to perceive which way He's leading me. And then it says He'll direct your path. Let Him get some space between you and Him. We don't have to be all up on Him. And do you all follow this? This is practical because they told Him, look, leave a half a mile between us. We haven't come this way before. Let the priest get out there. I like that. You know, let those knuckleheads get out there. That would give them the ties anyway. They don't work. Talking to each chicken, carry the box. Let them get out there. Y'all found that? All right, now, go to the next one. Back in Joshua 3 and verse 5, it says this. Joshua said, now Joshua did, he said to all the people, sanctify yourselves for the morrow. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. That's another one of religious words, isn't it? Is it? You ever heard that sanctification? Well, the Hebrew means to make clean or holy. Remember what holy is? That you would be devoted to a single purpose. Now watch this, because watch what Joshua tells all the people. Look, tomorrow it's on, like Donkey Kong. Well, you know, all you fought 40 years we've been out in this wilderness. We're tired of living in the wilderness. Tomorrow, we're going to cross the Jordan and go get what belongs to us. We ain't been this way before. So I want you guys to do today, before tomorrow is kickoff. Tomorrow's D-Day. Today, what I want you to do is assess your life and make sure that we're devoted to a single purpose. Because if you're not devoted to going to get what's yours, guess what? You're going to cut and run the first time it gets a little scary. You ever just try something? Well, I'm just going to try that out. Are you, you know, try it out if it means if it don't work out, that means we're done with this one. Right? What was that thing from Star Wars? Remember when Luke was with Yoda and he's trying to get the ship up out of the swamp? Y'all seen that? And he says, I'm trying. And Yoda says, try not. Do or do not. Do y'all remember that? If you ever seen that. And the thing's like 30 years old. But my kids have seen it, so I'm not too far out on them. But try... Trying is lying. If you're telling yourself, I'm going to go try something, you're lying to yourself. You're not going to do it. Is that not the truth? That is the truth. If you just say, because what are you doing? You're leaving yourself an out, aren't you? If I just try this. No, you've got to be, it's all in. You've got to be, when you commit to something, there ain't no backup plan. This is what he's telling. He says, you've got to be devoted to this single purpose. You've got to take inventory in your life. And if there's anything there, that would not that would keep you from being devoted to the single purpose. We've got to cleanse yourself from it. Cleanse yourself from it. 
Now, uh, this whole idea of cleanse, it's all throughout the Bible. Sanctification and making whole, isn't it? Cleanse yourself, wash yourself. i got to make this, you know what, for me, I can't talk in, you know, these theoretical, you know, ethereal, I need to know what can I do tomorrow or today to do this. Don't give me just some kooky little religious, oh, that sounds so good to sanctify yourself. If I don't know what to do, that's not helping me any that I know. Did you all follow what I'm trying to say? Look over here in 2 Timothy. Let's try to make it real. What exactly is this process? Because if they did it, now, they, under, they understood what it meant. So apparently, they had some kind of cultural idea or some idea, what because Joshua just says, sanctify yourself. They obviously knew what to do. Because they got it done. In 2 Timothy 2, y'all over there. In verse 20, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wool and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Alright, let's stop right there. So in the house, and think in your house. Well, I'll just say, you know, when I was a kid, we went to my grandma's house. Now, my mom and daddy were brought up in the Depression. It was my mom's mom's house. They were farmers in the Depression. Okay? They had vessels of honor that only came out at Thanksgiving and Christmas. It was the fine china. Y'all, y'all thinking you're, do you have something? Do you have vessels of honor in your house? It's a big house. How I many of they also had vessels of dishonor? Like the toilet. Do y'all follow this? In God's house, there's vessels of honor and dishonor. Now, he, the beauty in God's house is that you get to choose which one you want to be. You could be a vessel of dishonor. You could be in the position of honor. You get to choose. I mean, on my toilet brush, the one that scrubs the toilet, it's in a position of dishonor. It didn't get to choose. I went to Walmart or Target, right, and bought a vessel of dishonor to clean a vessel of dishonor. You, you all found this? Now watch. In verse 21 it says, But if a man or a woman therefore purge or cleanse himself from these, he shall be a vessel of, unto honor, sanctified, there's that word again, and meet or right for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You get to choose whether you, want to, whether you get to be a vessel of honor, do you want to be the fine china, or do you want to be like the toilet brush? It's up to you. But you've got to go through this process of, well, 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 how do you make that choice? He said, sanctify yourself, cleanse yourself, decide that I'm going to be devoted to a single purpose, I'm going to be devoted to whatever God's telling me to be devoted to. He says, you know what? You'll be, you'll be meet or measure, you'll, you'll measure up. That's what the word means. You'll measure up for the master's use to every good work. I mean, cleaning the toilet is not good work. Anybody that would tell you that's good work is lying. Is it good work? It's not good work. Good work would be being, you know, that gold encrusted gravy boat sitting on the table waiting to get passed around and poured. Are you all following this? So Joshua was telling these people, he said, look, you decide whether you want to be in a position of honor or a position of dishonor. Tomorrow, God's giving us the opportunity to be in a position of honor. If you don't cleanse yourself and you don't prepare yourself to be in a position of honor, then you'll be in dishonor. It's your choice whether you want to be in honor or you want to be in dishonor. Well, you know what? That still doesn't really help me. Just all right. I would. Everybody would say, I, "I don't want to be the toilet brush," wouldn't they? 
what practical steps can I take? What exactly do I have to do to get myself from being dishonorable toilet brush to being the gold gravy boat? Turn over to Isaiah 1. I dig myself some holes, don't I? It would have been just easier to just blow past that, just like, you know, Rahab wouldn't, you know. I was reading a thing this week, said Rahab, it was one of my uh, theological books, said Rahab was an innkeeper. No, she was a whore. Alright, so we're in the hole, let's dig us over here. Alright, Isaiah, here we go, right? Verse 16. Wash you and make you clean. Now we're back to the same thing again, right? We're going to wash ourselves. Now how do we do it? He says, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. This is God talking. And then he says, how do I do that? Are you just going to hide your evil stuff from him? He said, put away your evil doings from before my eyes. He said, here's how you do that. Just cease from doing what? Cease from doing evil. He says, and then learn to do well, and that's the word good, Learn to do good. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge or defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skins, sins, skins, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Let's break this down, shall we? Because he says, wash you. How am I going to wash myself? How am I going to cleanse myself? How do I go from the position of dishonor to getting to the, be the vessel and in a position of honor? Wash you, cleanse you. How do I do that? By stop doing evil. Now, did he say stop sinning? He didn't even mention sin at, at, at that verse, did he? He said stop doing evil. Depart from evil. And then he said, he didn't say do good. He said learn to do good. Then he now, look, we've talked about the good and evil list. How many times? How many times? About five thousand times in here. We haven't taught it in like two years. So, here I got copies of the good and evil list down. I got the definitions. I want to go over these again. Why? Because if, if I want to be in a position of honor, I've got to stop doing evil, and I have to learn to do good. So I want to remind us again what good and evil is, because we could fly down the list. But I think after two years, we probably it starts getting a little foggy. Now, I'm reminding myself as much as you, because here's the deal. If I'm going to be ready to be in a position of honor, because tomorrow I know God's going to show up and do wonders for me, and I need to cleanse myself of evil, I better identify it in my life again. This is not going to be the last time you do this. You've got to constantly sanctify yourself. You ever do spring cleaning? How often do you do spring cleaning? Every spring. That's why they call it spring cleaning. Are we getting practical now? <coughs> Alright, so let's look at this. Evil, thank you, <laughs> Evil, here's that Hebrew word. He says, stop doing evil. And then he says what? Learn to do good. Okay, so, so let's just do the first one. We'll stop doing the evil and then we'll learn here in a second to do good. We've got to find out what good is first. Right? Here we go, evil. Adversity. It's a condition of hardship, anything opposing you, anything that is unfriendly or detrimental to you. You, don't, you can't do adversity. Now listen, because I know that there's people 
Let's think about this. Are they fixing to go into adversity or out of adversity, these children of Israel? Yeah. Which what? It would seem like, wait a minute, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because if they go forward, aren't they going towards something that opposes them? But if they stay here, they're in wilderness living. And remember, wilderness living, if you look in Exodus 16, remember, here's what wilderness living is, that you gather in a lot and you don't have any left over, and you gather in a little and you have just enough. Wilderness living is that you just have enough. There's never any extra. Is that adverse? Have you ever lived where you don't have extra, you have just barely enough? Isn't that an adverse condition? Now think, because they're looking at something that even seems a little even more adversity because there's people there that are going to try and kill them. But on the other side of that is what? The good of the land. So in your life, you're going to have to decide. And this is your process. You're cleansing yourself. You're going to be in a spot, in a rock and a hard place that you'll think that every which way I go is going to be adversity. There's going to be something that opposes me. You need to decide in your life which one is going to produce the end of adversity for you. Would it be better to sit here in the wilderness and have just enough and die the death of a thousand small cuts? Or... Let's hit this thing head on. We'll knock it out. I know this is even bigger. It it, it seems like it's bigger. It's going to be more intense, but as soon as I get past this one, then I'm not going to have just enough anymore. Adversity is over now. I have the good of the land. Because you could actually take this and go, well, that's adversity, and that's a big one. I'm not going to go over there because, you know, I've got to not do adversity. Listen, don't use fear as a reason not to eat the good of the land. There is going to be adversity. And you know what? It's more intense. Is it not more intense going up against somebody you're trying to take their city? It was more intense than the 40 years of walking around with manna. You know, but it's like all squeezed together. You see how like a river runs and then there's like rapids? Rapids are faster, aren't they? They're a little more rough, but you get through them faster. This is not going to be long drug out. It ain't 40 years. If it takes them 40 years to face Jericho, it's going to be, I mean, you know, what the heck, let's just stay over here in the wilderness. It's not going to be. God said, you go with me, you're going to eat the good of the land. Yeah, there is something that it looks like it has adversity over there, doesn't it? But which one's going to be worse? You better assess in your life which adversity, you know, do I want to knock out the one thing and then get on the other side and eat the good of the land, or am I going to stay on this side of the Jordan and, and stick with just enough for the rest of my life. Because wilderness living is adversity. Y'all ever seen Survivor Man? That ain't a place I'd want to live the rest of my life. Surviving. Look at the next one. It says affliction. To be distressed with continued suffering and trouble. Alright, so the first cut was I'm adversity here, I'm adversity there. The next one is affliction or I'll be distressed with continued suffering and trouble. I mean, the wilderness is continued suffering and trouble. If you stay where you're at and you don't cross the Jordan you're going to continue to suffer with whatever your life is right now. You'll be stuck with it. Right? This sanctification. Cleansing ourselves. Having that thing where we're going to wash this stuff off me. I've got to shake off the thing of, I'm not, I'm not. You know what? I am not. I'm going, to cease to con- I'm going to cease having continued suffering and trouble here. The only way that I can cease to have it is to get out of here. Y'all, y'all following that? Calamity. An event causing great suffering or disaster. How many know when the walls of Jericho fell, we're not there yet, but they're fixing to fall? That's an event of great calamity 
isn't it? And disaster? For who, though? Was it for the children of Israel? No, it was a great victory for them. You're going to start to see this concept as we go forward, that as you go forward, you're, you know what? It's not that people and things are opposing me. It's that I oppose them. Adversity is when something opposes me. You should be adversity going somewhere to happen for the enemy. Do you see the difference? This is not a play on words. You can either be back on your heels taking all the crap that hell has given you, or you can get up on the horse, shake yourself off, and go give crap to hell. Am I saying that right? I'm getting all crazy here, right? I'm trying to make it... Because what we do is we rock back on our heels and we'll take stuff and we'll take stuff and we're in the defense. What's the best defense is a good what? Yeah, you get up and you get... You know what? We're going to go take some territory. I'm going to be adversity for somebody else. Not in the covenant. Let me clear that up. The next one, displeasure. To be annoyed, confused, or outraged. When I sit and I look at my life, there are days when I am annoyed... I'm confused, like how did I find myself here? And then it moves into outrage. If you find yourself in that spot, all right, now we're going to wash it. Let's cleanse ourselves of it because tomorrow God's going to do wonders for you to move on. You've got to come to the place where you're sick of this, you're sick of being outraged, you're sick of being confused, you're sick of being annoyed, and now I'm going to leave that and move forward. Distress and anxiety, worry, anxious, or fretting. That's an easy one, isn't it? That's an easy one to identify. Great grief, intense sorrow, tribulation, or regret. If you find yourself in a position in life that you regret some decisions that you made that got you where you're at, we need to just shake that off and be like, now I need to make new decisions instead of letting that thing keep you down. We, we regret, how, what do we regret? Nothing. If you made a mistake, learn from it, but know that that's under the blood of Jesus. It was a mistake. You go on. Because if you regret something and you keep regretting, and you regret, it'll keep you from moving forward. You've got to wash yourself of regret. Know what the decisions are that you made. All right, they were mistakes. I'll learn from them. I won't do them again. But if you regret it, it'll keep you down. So you've got to wash that off of you. Y'all found this? Harm, injury, or loss. Yep. There were some times where you made a decision or you walked into a spot in life and man, you got your teeth kicked in and you suffered a great loss or injury. You got to, you know what? Wash it off of you because if you let that injury or that loss dominate your thinking, you will not go forward. Remember Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh came to Moses and said, we'll stay here on the wilderness side. We're tired. We like it over here. You know why? Because they saw what would happen when you go into battle and they saw the injury or the loss that they suffered. When did they suffer loss? Do you remember when the 12 spies came back the first time and said, we can't go? Then God said, all right, you don't go. You go ahead and die here in the desert. Then they said, oh no, now we'll go. And it said they presumed to go and they were discomfited, it says in the King James. I'll bet they were. Come here, they suffered an injury and a loss. that'll, That'll sting you for a long time. You've got, you got to put it behind you. Rear view mirror. Wash it off of you. Heaviness. Despondent, burdened, or depressed. Shake it off. This is easier said than done. Tomorrow, God 
is going to do wonders among you. He can't do wonders among you until you shake this junk off. He says, wash you and cleanse you, put away the evil doings before my eyes, cease to do evil. This is evil. Despondency, being depressed, being burdened. We've got to shake it off. Hurt, pain or a wound. People hurt you. Stuff hurts you. There's wounds. There's pain involved. You, you got to decide that is not... You know what? I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. It's a decision. You, you cannot be bitter over like I got hurt. If you are, you're not going to go forward. God can't do wonders among you. Ill favor where people just can't stand you. When people don't like you, that's evil. Misery. Suffering, especially as a result of poverty or lack. Look, if you're going to stay in the wilderness, you're going to continue being in poverty or lack. Well, I'm not in poverty. Well, okay, you might not be in poverty, but if you ain't being able to pull somebody else out of poverty, you're in lack. If you're still just being able to keep up with your stuff, sadness, being depressed or miserable, pitiful or dejected, sorrow, Distress and pain because of loss. See how it starts? It starts just keeps repeating itself after a while. Trouble, difficulty, unrest, perplexed, agitated, wrong, injustice, anything is not working properly. Look, this is the kind of stuff you're just going to have to wash it off. You like taking a shower and getting mud off. Yup, we're in a bad spot. Yup, I made decisions where it seems like it's not working out. Yup, there's a whole lot of junk here. You know what? I got to wash that off because tomorrow God's going to do wonders in my life. But the only way is, is if you get rid of all this stuff first. You got to just shake it off. You've got to get rid of depression. You've got to get rid of sorrow. You've got to get rid of grief. You've got to get rid of worry and anxiety. You've got to get rid of regret. Y'all following this? Take inventory and wash it off. Do some spring cleaning. Because you know what? This stuff, every year, it'll, it'll happen very subtly and you'll start, the cobwebs of, of evil will start taking over your life. There'll be a little thing here and a little thing there and a little worry here and a little nibble of worry there and a little bit of anxiety here and a little bit of depression there and a little bit of burden here. And then pretty soon after a year, you didn't even realize that you're all hunched over with evil because it's real subtle, isn't it? Then he says this, he said, learn to do good or learn to do well. This tells me a couple things, that it isn't just going to fall on you, that I can stop doing evil and I can wash all this stuff off, but that doesn't mean that good shows up in its place. This is a two-part equation, this sanctification business, this making holy, this wash yourself. Not only do you have to shake off the other stuff, you've got to learn how to, which tells me there's a process. Learning means that I've got to get knowledge and information, right? Don't, don't I? And then I've got to learn how to use, I have to know how to use that knowledge and information and increase my skill level. When you learn anything, it's, there's a, a process of gathering information, processing it, and then when you have understanding and skill, that means you can use it. We have to learn how to do good, learn how to do well. That means it's not just going to fall on us. Not only do we got to, you know what, there is a process to this thing of doing good. There's a process to riches, honor, and life. There, let's look at the good list and see what there's a process. There's a learning curve. You've got to get up to speed on it, which means that it may take some time to get there. Yeah, well, I picked good. Now what? Now he says learn how to do it. Beautiful, attractive, exquisite, fair, handsome, lovely, and pretty. That's good. Bountiful. 
abundance, ample, plentiful, and substantial. This is from the Hebrew word good, tov. Better, bigger, faster, and stronger. Cheerful and glad. Lighthearted and willing. When I was growing up, if I didn't feel like going to school or I was feeling sad, my mom would be like, well, just put on a smile. You'll feel better. You ever try that? It don't work, okay? I don't care how many Tony Robbins kind of guys tell you that. It doesn't work. There's a learning process involved in being cheerful and lighthearted. It ain't just going to be I put on a smile and all of a sudden I'm cheerful. There's a learning process involved. Look, little victories beget bigger victories. You've got to start wherever you're at and find a little one. This is how you're going to learn how to be cheerful and glad. This is learn how to have better in your life. Learn how to have beauty and bounty and the best. Is that you have to start out where you are. I, I, you know, I love shooting for the stars. I'd love to have, tomorrow win the lottery and be Trump. Did I learn anything? No, I didn't learn anything except play the Powerball. Listen, you start where you're at. I'm giving you practical steps in life how we do this. Wherever you're at, find the thing that you can be cheerful or lighthearted about. If it's a Seinfeld episode, start there. I'm serious. The other night, we were uh, flipping through the channel, or Kimmy was, and she found the old Saturday Night Live best of Chris Farley. She's hooting and hollering, laughing. What is going on down here? I'm living in a van down by the river. You know what? We instantly got lighthearted. We were cheerful pretty quick. Uh, you know, David Spade looked like he was 14 and he's covering his face because he's trying not to laugh, you know, because they're laughing. And you know what? Welcome to good. Learn how to do good. You've got to find something somewhere, wherever you're at, to start being lighthearted and cheerful and glad. <coughs> at ease, relaxed unworried and unembarrassed. How I many know for you to relax and be at ease, there's a learning process involved in that. It's not just going to, you're just going to sudden just be relaxed in life and unworried. If you've been worrying all your life and you decide today I'm going to sanctify myself, I'm going to wash myself of worry, you're going to have to learn how to not worry. Starting when? The second that you said, I'm not going to worry anymore. Especially if you've got a whole lifetime of worrying. Don't beat yourself up over it. Keep making the decision. All right, I'm not going to worry about this. All right, I'm not going to worry about this. All right, all right, wait, I'm not worrying. You've got to find a bright, shiny ball to distract yourself. You know, I'm so glad that they put in, that God said, learn how to do good, that I just didn't have to flip a switch. Because you know what? It takes the pressure off me from performing. It's not a performance issue in your relationship. Sanctification is not a performance issue. It's a hard issue of, you know what, God, I'm going to learn to do good. I'm going to learn to do beauty. I'm going to learn to do bounty. I'm going to learn to do better. I'm going to learn to be at ease. I'm going to learn to be unworried. Well favored. That means that you are treated with partiality even when it's unfair to others. You know, there's something to learn about that. There is a skill in being treated unfairly with partiality. This is good. Happy welfare. That's health and prosperity. If you decide today, you know what, I'm done with being unhealthy. 
you're going to have to get some information on how do I be healthy. And there's a lot of it out there. It's easier today to learn than it was when this was written. Isn't it? We're in the information age. Loving, expressing the God kind of love. Kind and useful, being helpful. Pleasing and pleasure, delighted and satisfied. You're going to have to learn to be delighted with stuff. You're going to have to learn to be satisfied. Especially if you've been living in the wilderness where it's just enough survival mode for your, your entire life. It's going to be hard to find pleasure in stuff. I was brought up as the missionary's kid. My mom and dad came up through the depression. That's already one strike against them. Then we got the religious poverty mentality where it's you know, good to be, you know, it's holy to be poor. Strike two. Then we're missionaries where everybody else thinks you ought to be poor. It's hard to find pleasure in life. You're going to have to learn to do it. And again, start where you're at. You know what, my, my, you know what I, I take pleasure in? A good Starbucks cup of coffee. I tried the McDonald's. It ain't as good. They tried to say it was. That premium, it ain't. I take more pleasure. In fact, I didn't take any pleasure in the McDonald's. It was only like three cents cheaper too. It wasn't even that much cheaper. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm like, we got you got to find places in your life and start taking pleasure. Because if you're not, you're not going to get cheerful and lighthearted. If you don't start taking pleasure in stuff, you know what it's small right now? And they'll big from faith to faith you grow. It'll get bigger, they'll get bigger, we can get bigger pleasures and bigger pleasures. But if you don't start taking finding some in your life right now, and you've got to change... See, really what all this is? Isn't it all about focus, really? Mm-hmm. Sanctification is what I'm going to focus on. I'm not focusing on the evil in my life anymore. I'm going to focus on the good, the beauty, the bounty, and the better and the best. That's easier said than done, but when you start doing it, it'll start beget doing it. And you know what do they say? After 21 days of doing something, it becomes a habit. Every day, make yourself focus on good for the next 21 days and just see what happens. Do an experiment. Sweet. Sweet! I like that. Rich, productive, and possessing winning qualities. You've got to learn how to possess winning qualities. They, they don't just drop on you. Ready. Available for immediate use. I mean, you know, when supper is ready, that's good. It ain't good if it ain't ready yet. Maybe when we're going to eat. I'll say this. What, what time are we going to eat? Well, i got to do this and i got to do that. No, this was a time question. I didn't ask what the process was. I want to see because I, right? I don't care what the process is. I want to know what time we're eating. That's good. When it's ready, it's good. Listen, you've got to make yourself ready. Ready yourself. Prepare yourself. That's what this whole sanctification really thing is about, is readying yourself. Making yourself ready for God to do wonders amongst you. Remember last week we had this, uh, the clock inspirational moment. Was uh, The guy was not doing good in life. A friend, of him, a friend of his came to him and he said, you know what? This reminds me of two farmers. Story of two farmers. And uh, the one farmer, he went to God and prayed for rain. And the second farmer, he went to God and prayed for rain. The first farmer... Went back to watch an Oprah or whatever. The second farmer, he went out and he got his fields plowed and cultivated and got ready for it to rain so he could plant. He said, which one do you think was really trusting God to bring the rain? He said, well, the one that went out and got his fields ready. Then he said, well, which one are you? 
That's what this sanctification whole thing is. Are you going to prepare your stuff to receive rain from God? Are you going to prepare yourself for God to do wonders among you? You've got to prepare yourself. Prepare your fields. Get your life ready for God to show up. That means I'm not just going to wait for it to happen. While I'm waiting for it to happen, I'm going to make sure we're ready to go. When the opportunity comes, then we're going. When the Jordan splits, we're walking through it. I mean, if they didn't move up to the Jordan banks and they were still camped three days back and God opened up the Jordan River, but they're three days away, are they ready? Are they going in? No, they're still three days away. Why have we got to camp by the Jordan? So when God shows up and the thing splits, you can walk through it. Prosperity and wealth. Success, abundance, and riches far richer than riches. You've got to learn to get wealth. It's just not going to fall on you. Precious and of high value. Things that are highly priced, of great worth, and excellence. Excellence. So we're, trying to, we're trying to teach our kids not to be perfect, not to strive for perfection, but to strive for excellence. Because the pressure of being perfect is too great. You're not going to make it, okay? And what you do, if you, try, if you are one of those people that strives for perfection, because I used to be one of those, and I would say, well, if I don't strive for perfection, I'll never make it. Guess what, Andrew? Lightning and flash news. You're not going to make it. There's the curse of the fall we've got to deal with. I've got to deal with my mind, will, and emotions and my flesh. If, I'm gonna, if, if the bar is perfection, get, you're not, you might as well just hang it up right now. Because what you'll do, what it'll do is paralyze you from doing anything. Because if you can't do it perfect, then I'm not going to do it. No. We're going to strive for excellence. You know what excellence is? That we just do our best. 100% effort. Let God deal with the result. Let God deal with bringing you know, the riches. Let God deal with putting me in a position of honor. Let Him deal with making my, uh, showing up and making the life great and high quality. But you know what I'm going to do on my end is excellence. I'm going to give 110% effort of whatever it is, everything that I do. And not whatever, but everything. Striving for excellence. This is, I'm learning to do good. How many know why you start doing stuff that I do now, I do it way better than I used to do it. Whatever it is. Think of the thing that you started out doing, whether it was golf, Swimming, running, playing PlayStation, whatever it is. If you started out the first day, probably not that good. Was it still your best effort? Okay. Then continue to do your best effort. You'll get better at it. But the effort level should never change. It's always I'm doing my best. Let God deal with the results. We're talking about learning how to do good. How to sanctify yourself. How to get ready for God to do wonders among you. Y'all following this? The finest and the best. Again, excellent, elegant, refined, and pure, like silver and gold. Now we're back to being a. Now you're finally at gold and silver, position of honor, meet for the master's use. Refined. If something is refined, if you're going to be refined in your life, how many know that's a process? And sometimes it's painful. Where the edges are going to have to get knocked off. You may have to change some things that make you uncomfortable, that I never did it that way before. In life, for God to show up and do wonders among you, you're going to have to go through a refining process in order to be meat for the Master's use, in order to be in that position of honor. Don't shy away from it. 
Sometimes I think because the, the refining, to be honest with you, the refining makes us more uncomfortable than the fear of facing the battle of Jericho. The fear of facing that adversity. The refining of that I've got to be different or that God's going to mold me and shape me that I can't be in my same old you know, square peg in a square hole. What if I've got to be round to go into the round hole? This is all what sanctification is. This is all what washing yourself is, cleansing yourself. Being able to, you know what, I might have to go through the wood chipper in order for God to use me in the next place or where I'm going. See, if we don't raise our thinking, if we resist that, because there is in Christianity, there is a huge, we want to resist the good of the land. We either say, we could never have it. Why would God want me to have it? It's not, you know, that ain't right. Uh, well, I'll never be able to achieve that. How do you know if you take yourself out of that? If you don't want to be refined, hey, look, you know what, it's all good. Because God said that there's vessels of honor and dishonor in His house. It doesn't mean you ain't in the house. It doesn't mean that you ain't a vessel. It's your choice. We could choose it in either way. It doesn't matter. He loves you. It ain't performance-based. God loves you the same no matter which way you go. It's what you enjoy. What, how do you want your life to be? It's your choice. Whatever, and, and it's all about little choices that lead up to big choices. Now I take I'm looking at my life right now, and I'm thinking, how did I find myself here? Because I made this choice. Yeah, that was about five years ago. Then I made that choice. Uh-huh, that was like two years ago. And then there was that choice. That was four years ago. And then what choice am I making today? This is, I'm, telling, I'm, just, I'm showing you a window into what my, what I, my thinking is, what my, where I'm at, and hope that it will help you. Because if you look at your life and go, how did I get here? Well, you know what? Whatever choices you made in the past, they're in the past. Shake that off. Cleanse yourself of the regret. I'm preaching to me right now, not you. I'm serious. Look at your life and make choices today of where you want to be at tomorrow, the next day. They don't have to be huge. Learn how to do it. Start out with wherever we're at. Start out with where you're at and just look at what can I do today to make this different where I want to go tomorrow. Point the ship, point your life in the direction of good and start making choices that send you to good. Don't regret the bad ones. They're yesterday. Can't get them back down range now. Readjust right now. Because tomorrow, God's going to do wonders among you. Stand your feet with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word sealed in our hearts. I thank you for your goodness, your tender love and care, and I thank you for your mercy, Father. Father, as we endeavor to make choices, to point us in the direction of good, we know that that's what You want for us. You want us to enjoy life. You want us to enjoy each other. You want us to enjoy this planet that You created for us. You want us to enjoy all the best things that it has to offer. Holy Spirit, come alongside us and lead us and guide us. Help us to perceive You in a real and tangible way to direct us to eating the good of the land. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.